Hello, everyone, and welcome to the WordPress Briefing, the podcast where you can catch quick explanations of the ideas behind the WordPress open source project, some insight into the community that supports it, and get a small list of big things coming up in the next two weeks. I'm your host, Josefa hayden Champosi. Here we go. Y'all, we've got an absolutely jam-packed couple of weeks in WordPress. We've got events happening and releases shipping and contributor days being coordinated. I almost said contributor days being contributed. That's also what they're being, what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> I'll share some of those highlights in today's small list of big things, but I did want to specifically call out something that's coming up this week on Thursday, and that something is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. The team of contributors over on the accessibility team have participated in Global Accessibility Awareness Day in the past, and so I thought it would be interesting to hear from one of the co-founders of this particular day of awareness. All right, and with that, Joe Devon, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I am the co-founder of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is a day that goes viral every year, the third Thursday of May. We typically have a Twitter reach on the GAD, G-A-A-D hashtag on Twitter of 200 million users, which is, I think, pretty much their active user count. We stopped counting once we once we hit their daily active user count. And then um, chair of the GAD Foundation, which we launched last year. And then I have a day job too, where I'm CEO and co-founder of Diamond, which is an inclusive digital agency that builds software accessibly by default. Wonderful. Well, we are so excited to have you today. I said we, like it's me and the mouse in my pocket, we and the WordPress community that's going to listen to this. Super excited to have you today. Um, so you were you mentioned GAD, Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Last year was your 10th anniversary, which is very exciting. But like with so many good things, I hear it all started with a blog post and a blog post on WordPress, no less. <laughs> so I'd Indeed. love to hear about how GAD evolved from that with, as I understand it, um, your co-founder, Jenison. That, that must be where you met him, I assume? Yes, yes. So what happened was I started a, a WordPress blog called MySQL Talk. So it's a database blog, and I just thought it was a brilliant name. I mean, MySQL Talk, like, that should be super popular, right? You're like, that's going to bring them in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it probably had maybe 10 people uh, ever looked at it. Um, and then, and then <laughs> my dad was getting older, and my dad was, was a survivor of the concentration camps, and he was a genius. He spoke 10 languages. It, it, he was one of those people that that when uh, he walked into a room, he just commanded respect. You knew that there was history. I, I don't know how to explain it really, but it, it was special when my dad walked in the room and considering all this that he suffered in his life, watching him get older and struggle, particularly with his banking was very painful to see. And mm. the bank was inaccessible. So I wrote this blog post proposing that we create a global accessibility awareness day. Sometimes I get these visions, they never turn into anything. But while I think <laughs> about it, I'm like, all right, uh, let's write this blog post and this can definitely work, right? And then you finish the blog yeah. post, you hit send and you're like, this is not going to work. Um, 
<laughs> but it's out there. Good for me. <laughs> yeah. and But I wasn't even smart enough to do social media on it. But fortunately, WordPress had a, uh, an auto-tweet feature and it tweeted it out. And Jenison Assumption, my co-founder, happened to be around and not out that Saturday night. And we read the blog post and he said, this is a great idea. Let's make it happen. And uh, we had two busy people, but we both had a community. He had the accessibility community. And I was building tech scene in, uh, in Los Angeles. And what I discovered is if you combine a great idea with the community, great things can happen. Oh, man. You're speaking my language over here, helping people find their communities, like knowing that community is the thing that is the lifeblood of society. That it sounds that sounded like a tautology. It is not a tautology. You can have a society with an attempt to not have any sort of community around it, but I bet it doesn't work very well. (laughs) Well, that's that's very interesting. And so you all just kind of talked through what that would look like. I assume in the comments, that's where that would have yeah. to take place, right? Or was it oh, yeah. on Twitter in those days? Oh, you could still look in the comments and see the back and forth of Jenison and a bunch of other people that got pretty involved with GAD that are some legendary folks in there. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing because I don't know how, how you feel, but for me, when I used to code, uh, three months later, I'd look back at old code and be like, oh, I suck, you know? Or if you write an email, (laughs) even you look back on it a day later, like, what a stupid email. How how stupid am I, you know? (laughs) But I look back on that one after 10 years, I was scared to look at it because I'm like, it must have been really bad. But, you know, it kind of held up and exactly what I wrote in there happened. So to my utter shock. So. But also, it's kind of nice, though, to look back and be like, oh, I used to be much dumber. Because then you're like, look how far I've come. I'm no longer that dumb. I'm a different kind of dumb now. Good for me. Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) I always hope to be a different kind of dumb as I go forward. So then, okay, so that was your 10-year anniversary last year. Uh, GAD, in general, now has been going on for 11 years. And in at the time of this recording, in a couple of weeks, but then probably a week when it, when it finally publish it, publishes, you have your next, your next round of that going. I think it seems safe to assume that awareness of the need for accessibility has increased during that time, but we all know that the work of accessibility is ongoing. And so I'm just curious to hear from your perspective if the awareness of the need for accessibility has generally started to permeate developer communities And are you seeing more developer awareness around the need for accessibility in tech in general? Yeah, you know, it's it's not enough. It's certainly improved a lot. Uh, I I keynoted a conference probably four years after GAD started, maybe five. And I kind of assumed nobody would have heard of accessibility. And I I was taken aback Mm -hmm. when I asked who heard of it and a good chunk of the room had heard of it. So... Even then, there had been a difference. And I'd say now I see accessibility mentioned a lot more in conferences and stuff. But when it comes to actually building it, there's a tremendous amount of ignorance. There there still needs to be a lot more awareness. And I think partially people are a little bit scared to dip their toe because they're scared that they're going to be told that, that no, it's not accessible or that, that they're going to say the wrong word or offend somebody. So I'd say that there's some degree of, of trepidation. But also, there's just 
developers, and it's not just developers, it's designers, it's right. product people. There's so much to learn. And it's like, oh God, there's another piece that I have to learn. And I'm so, so glad that you invited me on this, um, this podcast because it's, it's the developers, um, that, it, you know, my, I am a developer, not anymore. I haven't touched code in years, but uh, that's where I yeah. come from, right? That, that's, that's, this is my peeps, right? Particularly WordPress folks, because uh, I had done yeah. a fair bit of WordPress, uh, before I moved on to, to some other things. And, I, I think that we have to talk about usability and understand that accessibility is so much more than the way we kind of look at disability. And if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. How do you think the typical WordPress developer or designer would define disability? Mm. In the kinds of conversations that I've had over the years, it frequently has to do with like visual things because it's just screens all day, right? And that's a primary area where, where our designers and developers really have made some effort. But my, my personal favorite sort of, of example for like, when you're looking at, at how to make sure that your products are accessible is, is like, what if you have to use your website, you have to build your website using only one arm? Because that gives you an opportunity to kind of look at at disability from a permanent standpoint, like if you have lost permanent use of one arm, but also gives you an opportunity to take a look at the temporary options for that sort of lack of mobility, like you're a mother with an infant. And so you have to be able to, you know, get your stuff done with one arm. And so I know that we pay a bunch of attention to screen readers and what works and not way back in 2018 and 2019 did a lot of work with like literally zero screen and can you still do the thing that you need to do which was incredibly difficult and i was really excited to see what our developers uh, came up with around that but i think that that is is quite a bit of that discussion as we're going through it from the beginning to the end yeah i mean that, that that's a great answer and it, and you you definitely understand some of the nuances way better than i think that the average creator digital product creator that way, I'm including the you know the product people, the designers, and the developers. Yes. So we're very fortunate to have more than just developers in WordPress. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so the the reason I bring this up is that the WHO had to they're the ones that did massive research across the globe, and they had to they had to come up with a definition and and in their definition they they needed to draw a line and. Typically, I, I don't remember the exact thing because it's a 350-page report, and I kept looking for where they defined it again. It was a little hard to find, but essentially, it's if there's a major disability or a disability that impacts some significant portion of your day-to-day -day activities. And that's really great when you're trying to do a report on how many disabilities there are out there, what percentage of the population has a disability. And their figures are something like 15% of the population has a disability, which is a huge number. But at the same time, they also mentioned that 2.2 billion people have a visual impairment. And we also know that over 33% of the population is over 50. And I'm included in that population. And I can say that when you're over 50, you know, I've got clouds in my eyes. I don't know where they came from, yeah. but they, they, they definitely make it harder to see. 
Uh, when I'm in a restaurant, I can't focus on the person across from me the same way. My hearing is not the same. And anybody over 50 is going to have certain impairments and won't see as well. Color contrast issues are a big deal. Being able to raise the font is a big deal. And I think that accessibility is connected in most people's minds with disability and they'll attach that to something like being blind or being deaf or hard of hearing or having a missing limb or having some other kind of disability. And as a result, they're like, well, how, I don't even know any people in that category possibly, right? And as a result, they're like, well, how important is this? Yes, they might feel guilty. I should do the right thing. This is the right thing to do. But honestly, like how much money should I spend on it? How much, what percentage of my time should I spend on it? And it's because they don't realize that everybody has different abilities. And so I'm starting to go away from even talking about disabilities and, and, and asking people to remember that all of us perceive things differently. Do you remember the gold dress where there, or the dress where yeah. they're trying to say, what color is this dress? Is it gold and white or blue and black? And it right. really is blue and black, but to me, all, all I see is gold and and uh, and white. And then there was yeah. Laurel or Yanni. Do you remember that? Yes. That was a sound. <laughs> I do. And some people heard yeah. it, and typically older people would hear it as Laurel. And I and I do this in some of my presentations. I play that that sound, and usually it's Laurel for me, but sometimes it's Yanni. Even personally, it changes, right? And so yeah. we have a totally different perception now. Think about memory, there's a different kind of blindness. If you try and remember, let's say, a relative or a friend that is no longer there, how well do you see that picture? Because for me, it is very, very vague. But for some people, they say, and I've, I've been asking people, and I'd love your answer as well, how vivid is it? And some people say, I can read, the, I can see the pattern on the shirt. It's as vivid as if I see with opening my eyes, seeing, you know, the regular in front of me. And I can even read a name tag in, in, in the memory. And I'm like, whoa, so maybe <laughs> I'm blind in a way, right? So how do you yeah. see it? How do you remember things? Oh, I'm a, I'm a real visual person and a tactile person. And so like, if I interacted with someone, I'm very likely to be able to picture, like recreate that mental picture pretty well in my mind. Yeah, um, I recently, very recently met some of my first people in that executive leadership space who were like, yeah, I don't, I don't visualize things. And I was like, what? How do you, what? <laughs> How do you do the, this work? <laughs> because like, you have to be able to do that. I'm like, no, I don't have mental pictures. Some, like, some okay. people don't Me? have an inner dialogue. I don't understand that either. <laughs> Me neither. So accessibility studies all of these differences with, with respect to how you're presenting information. And yeah. if you don't pay attention to accessibility, you're really just missing out. And then there's colorblindness. If you're creating something like Slack that has an online offline indicator and you only use red and green to people who are colorblind, you, they, they see gray and gray. Right. And so what I'm trying to to teach the community, the digital product creators, 
is that no, you cannot ignore, you can ignore accessibility, but then you're not good at your job. I mean, I don't mean to say it in an offensive <laughs> way, but you're not good at your job if you're unaware. If you, if you break a rule on purpose, great. But if you don't know the rule, it's just a lack of, of craft. And you absolutely should make it a priority. And you're not doing it as a charity. You're doing it because you care about your users and you care about your craft and you want to build things well. And it's a necessity. And I think that this is the kind of message that our community needs to hear. I want to touch on something that you sort of brought up a bit um, at, at the start of the answer there. So you brought up the concept of usability. And in, in the last time around that I did a podcast about accessibility, I defined accessibility as a subset of usability. Do you think that if we were to consistently draw that line for people so that it's not just like accessibility is this thing that you should do outside of usability, if we were to more consistently draw that line, do you think that that would help people to see and understand better that it's shades of existence, usability and accessibility? Oh, 100%, 100%. And in my company, we've, we've kind of realized that that's exactly what we have to do. We have to see this as usability. And I don't, I don't, we talk about accessibility a lot, but I don't want to. It's part of the plumbing for us. We've made it part of the plumbing. And, and I can tell you, it's a struggle to take accessibility and make it part of an organization, even when you're bringing it top down, believe it or not. But for our teams, particularly the designers, they are blown away by what they're learning because they're improving their craft. And, and design is typically where there's a struggle to get accessibility accepted because there seems to be a very, very strong idea of what a design should look like. And I think it's really about the approach because UX and design, it's all about empathy for people. And when you, when you approach it, not as, even though empathy should mean that, that, you know, do the right thing at the same time, it's more about empathy for your user and your user includes so much more than just people with disabilities that you haven't run into somebody that has that disability and therefore build it better. And it's, it's completely blown their mind. They love it. They love doing it. And I'm not hiring people with accessibility coming in. We're training them to, to work accessibly. So I think it's interesting that you talk about empathy as part of, of being able to make sure that you're creating something that's accessible, because I actually feel like empathy is like it's being considered this gold standard for many, many things right now. And I think it actually is more harmful in the long run than instead making altruistic choices. And so I, I have a blog post that I will link in our show notes that will kind of help everybody see more fully my concept there. But when you rely on empathy, you do kind of have to rely on one, being able to run into all of the issues, as you were mentioning, like you have to know people who have the problems in order to know that the problems exist. And then you also kind of have to assume that once you have willingly put yourself into the discomfort of that kind of disability, whatever, wherever it exists on that spectrum, that your experience of that discomfort is the same as someone who lives with it. And I just don't think that we can necessarily do that. And so I 
uh, I always think that trying to do the altruistic thing, like doing your research and figuring out what it is and trying to make decisions on behalf of other people as best you can, which is a terrible thing, but like decisions that take into account the experiences that people are sharing with you and that, and then going to them and saying, does this make that experience better or worse? is the more sustainable option from my perspective this is specifically leadership but i think it's true for accessibility as well and probably product design as a whole but it's very difficult like people really feel like they understand the concept of empathy right now and i do think that sometimes that really leads us down the wrong path for things and so what's your thought on that <laughs> i think you kind of agree based on oh, what your answer was but I oh no absolutely and you know we we you can't Never about us without us is the, the common saying. Yes. And we've gathered a group of 100 people with a wide variety of disabilities for research. Anytime we do any UX and research, and sometimes we're, we're asked to just do research projects, we go out and we ask the users. Uh, we had some really interesting companies approach us to do innovation in accessibility, and they had strong assumptions. We looked at the assumptions and agreed with it, but we're like, all right, they were smart. They said, vet this with users for us, please, because they didn't want to gather their own group. We vetted with users and we're blown away, always blown away because there's so many things you just don't know unless you've lived with a particular disability. You can't guess and you've got to speak to your users and a wide variety of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what role does open source play in expanding accessibility, either in specifically the digital space or just accessibility in general? I guess if the question is what role does it play, I would say uh -huh. the role it plays is, it, is unfortunately it makes accessibility worse <laughs> because for <gasps> the most part, open source is not very accessible and it's a personal okay. passion of mine. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. You know, it's like, it's, it's so bizarre. You write a blog post and then it goes viral and it goes viral every year to a degree that you just can't even believe it that all these companies that you know are running events privately, publicly talking about it. And then you get all these people thanking you for what you've done year after year. And then one year you read on Twitter, the blind onion. I'm sure you're familiar with the onion, the satirical there's the blind onion and okay. they tweet out now that global accessibility awareness day is over we look forward to 364 days of global accessibility oblivion and that really hurt at the time but at the same time and i was told ignore it don't worry about it but i'm like no this is coming from a place of pain and the the point of gad was to make a difference it wasn't to to just give everybody an opportunity to say, hey, look at what we're doing and then not making a difference, if that makes sense. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as a result of that, I started to think about, well, where are we with this? And and so I created a state of accessibility report that through my company we were able to run for a few years. And it's not, you know, the state is not great. And I'm like, well, what can we do to change things? So as a result of all of this, I really wanted to figure out, well, what what can we do to make sure that GAD does make a difference? And so I came up with the idea of the GAD pledge, which is specifically meant for open source frameworks. 
And the idea of the GAD pledge is that an open source framework, when they are ready, take the pledge to make accessibility a core value of the framework. Now, in terms of what that actually entails is different for every single project because every project is unique. We did create a bit of a framework which had the idea of saying, okay, you're going to first of all, create an accessibility statement that says that this framework is gonna to conform to whatever WCAG, which is Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, to whatever WCAG level is decided and is appropriate for the framework, that there's going to be documentation for anybody that is downloading this piece of open source project and trying to implement it, that there should be guidelines for them, that all of the examples should be accessible. It's really important because even, even the frameworks that try to pay attention to accessibility, you'll often see that people from the community will provide examples and they're inaccessible. And it's really sad when you see that because so many people are just copy pasting. That's typically how it works. And they're going to copy paste something bad. So putting a statement around it, I think would be really great. And what we're hoping to see is that lots and lots of big open source communities decide to take the pledge and then it'll sort of be some table stakes that any new open source project says, well, look, all of these frameworks that made it, they took the pledge and therefore we should take the pledge as well. And so the very first year we had React Native uh, take the pledge and they put a lot of effort into their accessibility. The second group to take it was Ember.js and they always put a lot of effort into their accessibility and they continued that effort. And we're about to announce the next one, but we're still two weeks away, so I can't say anything yet. Yeah, and I won't tell anybody. (laughs) But but uh, yes, (laughs) we're uh, we're hoping for a lot more uptake on on the GAD pledge because it it affects so many people downstream. WordPress is at what percent of the the web right now? Forty three. So there you go. That's that's a (laughs) that's a lot of people. It's so many people. Yeah. Fun fact: Gutenberg, our current rewriting of the editing experience in WordPress primarily uses React. And so I'm glad to hear that they have taken that yes. pledge as well. Yes, indeed. Well, as with any good cooking, it starts with good ingredients. <laughs> you, you, you said it. <laughs> you said it. That was great. I wish I was a cook, though. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Let's... What keeps you up at night when it comes to the state of accessibility? What keeps me up at night is is how to move the needle. It is it is mm-hmm. such a a big a big thing to change, and there's so many angles that you can approach this with. But at the end of the day, it's it's a monster. It's a monster. There's so many legacy sites out there. If you look at WebAIM, they do a yearly report on the state of accessibility as well, or they have they call it the WebAIM Million. And they're typically seeing 97% inaccessible, 98%. It goes up and down a little bit every year. And that's that's just a huge boat to move. I think we need to at least get the newer, uh, newer websites and mobile apps to move. And what we've seen in our state of accessibility report is that only the very top companies seem to seem to put in the effort to to make their products accessible. And there is a big push with the enterprise companies to do it. The CEOs are starting to talk about it. But what we need is the entire culture of software development to change. 
right? Or I should even say digital product development to change. And to move that boat is massive. And that's, I, I put it in my tagline in my email, like that's my mission in life. And I hope to achieve it before I die. So that, that keeps me up at night. Yeah, I think that would keep me up at night as well. <laughs> and I mean, it seems like you are really just personally mission driven and impact driven. Do you feel like in the event, this like the work that you've accomplished so far, like if that is what you accomplish, do you feel still like you've you've had an impact? I feel like you have had an impact. I'm not one of those people that tries to have a legacy or like tries to focus on what is my impact and all of that. I just try and do good work and, and hopefully it just shows at the end of the day. Uh, try, you know what I mean? I'm just trying to have the impact without the, the accolades, if that makes sense. I get it. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of WP Briefing. You have been a delight to chat with. Likewise, it's really been a pleasure to meet you. And, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity as well. And now it's time for our small list of big things. As I mentioned at the start, it is packed. So number one, tomorrow, May 17th, RC3. So one of the final RCs uh, that we're going to have for uh, the WordPress 6.0 release. Um, if I unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong, which I don't think it will. And then two days after that, Global Accessibility Awareness Day, as I mentioned, that will be on May 19th. So uh, this coming Thursday. And then next week, we have the 6.0 release. We have the WordPress 6.0 release on May 24th. Three days after that, WordPress turns 19 on May 27th, starting its final teenage year before we turn 20 in 2023. So that was the rapid fire, essentially dance card for the next two weeks. The stuff uh, that is happening with and around WordPress for everyone to know. As a heads up, also many people are headed to WordCamp Europe in Porto the first week of June. I am going to do a live from WordCamp Europe episode. It will not be live. I'll just record it live. And so, you know, you'll get to hear me with my hoarsest voice and maybe singing to my computer because that almost always happens at these things. Oh, and that, my friends, is your small list of big things. Thank you for tuning in today for the WordPress briefing. I'm your host, Josepha Hayden Champossi, and I'll see you again in a couple of weeks.